our community is reeling right now. At about 1.20 in the morning, on Thursday, June 24th, 2021, part of the Champlain Towers South, a 12-story beachfront condominium in Surfside, just north of Miami Beach, collapsed. As of the time of this recording, the official death total stands at nine, but 152 people are identified as missing. Rescue and recovery missions remain ongoing, but the scale of the devastation is still a little bit hard to wrap your brain around. With so much of this story still left to be told and so many questions still unanswered, it'd be irresponsible to try to consider it in a historical context on our show. But at the same time, it seems a little bit frivolous to stick to the normal format that we use here. This month's previously scheduled episode, a retrospective of the life and death of Jackie Gleason, who spent so much of his career directing so much attention to Miami Beach in such a positive way, seems almost tragic to consider now. So I must ask you two things before we get started. First, if you haven't already done so, find a worthy charitable cause to support and help out our local community in Surfside. I personally recommend visiting supportsurfside.org, which includes a number of local organizations, including both the Knight Foundation and the Miami Foundation for a Greater Miami, two of the most respected names in philanthropy in South Florida. Second, I ask you to forgive me as we jump a little bit ahead in the calendar and look at another important day in Miami's history, a day that had a huge impact on the way that local government works and is a huge part of the Surfside story, but was more than a little bit lost to the sands of time before last Thursday. That date is August 5th, 1974, the date that the Drug Enforcement Administration's Miami Regional Office in downtown Miami collapsed. If you try to pull up 1201 Northeast 2nd Avenue in downtown Miami on Google Maps or a GPS device, you'll find that there's nothing there. It's really close to Interstate 395, which runs right through downtown Miami, and it currently serves as a parking lot for the Adrian Arsht Center and surrounding areas. But it wasn't always this way. When Arthur A. Unger arrived in Miami in 1918 as a 34-year-old, he didn't have much. But by the time he returned in 1919, he had the promise of a Buick dealership in his pocket, according to the obituary that ran in the Miami News on April 18, 1969. He would turn that promise into a dealership that would sell 10 times as many cars as the original agreement required throughout the 1920s. A dealership that survived the downturn of the late 1920s and 1930s in South Florida and would eventually make Unger one of the most significant businessmen and philanthropists in Miami. His name can actually still be found on the Arthur A. Unger Computing Center on the University of Miami's campus. He was largely responsible for keeping the university afloat in the cardboard college times of the 1920s, 30s, and early 1940s. His base of operation for all that time was the Unger Buick Company at, you guessed it, 1201 Northeast 2nd Avenue in downtown Miami. Unger would eventually sell the agency to Frank Edelin in 1958, and Edelin would continue to operate a car dealership out of 1201 Northeast 2nd Avenue until 1969. 
It was at that point that Frank Edlin would move his Buick dealership north to 2100 Northeast 2nd Avenue, and the building would be sold to the General Services Administration of the federal government, and in October 1971 would become the home of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs in Miami. On July 1, 1973, then-President Richard Nixon signed Reorganization Plan Number 2 of 1973 as part of the then-nascent War on Drugs, which took the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, the Bureau of Drug Abuse Control, the Office of Drug Abuse Law Enforcement, the Office of National Narcotics Intelligence, and the aforementioned Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, and combined them into one agency, the Drug Enforcement Administration. And that agency would have its presence at 1201 in downtown Miami. Think about the history of this building for a second. It is built for cars. A dealership designed to sell Buicks. But a dealership that had been at that location for more than half a century. Originally built in the late 19-teens. It's the kind of building that, based on its history, you would assume could handle the rough and tumble of law enforcement. But based on its age, might give you pause. That concern turned to catastrophe on August 5, 1974, at 10.24 in the morning, when a portion of the building came crashing down. In Miami today, part of the roof of a government building collapsed, killing at least one person and possibly two. One report claims seven are still unaccounted for and may be in the debris. Ike Siemens reports from WTVJ Miami. Tons of concrete and cars that were parked on the roof of the 49-year-old building came tumbling down into the offices of the Federal Drug Enforcement Administration. Within minutes, rescue units were on the scene pulling out survivors. Eleven persons, most of them women, were taken to a local hospital. The first man pulled out was Lindsay Fowler. He had just entered the building to make a delivery. What happened? I was making the delivery, and the building just crumbled. It just crumbled. Just came down. wasn't no fault. It just came down. You know how it happened? No, it just collided. It just come falling. It didn't give no warning whatsoever. That was from the CBS Evening News on August 5th, 1974. An exact cause of the disaster was never fully identified. However, an unpermitted concrete slab added to the top of the building was believed to be at fault. Sixteen individuals in the building were injured and seven DEA employees were killed, making August 5, 1974 the deadliest day in the history of the Drug Enforcement Administration or of any of the preceding agencies dating back to 1920, according to the DEA Survivors Benefit Fund. Those deaths include five women, Anna Munger, Martha Skeels, Anna Pope, Mary Sullivan, and Mary M. Keehan, all five of whom served as clerks, typists, assistants, or secretaries in the office. Two of the dead were DEA special agents, including... Charles H. Mann, and Nicholas Fragos, who was born in Greece, immigrated to the United States, served in the Vietnam War, earning a Silver Star, two Bronze Stars, a Purple Heart, and two Army Commendation Medals during his service, before joining the DEA and reporting to the Miami Regional Office Building for his first day of work as a DEA Special Agent on August 5th. 
One would assume such a scarring event for a federal agency and for the city of Miami would prompt quick reflection and long-term efforts to preserve memories. The quick reflection was there. Within nine months, members of Miami-Dade County's Board of County Commissioners would meet and pass an ordinance requiring inspections of buildings that are at least 40 years old. The ordinance, which was passed on May 21, 1975, used the number 40 because the DEA building was most recently reconstructed in a significant manner a little less than 40 years before the disaster of 1974. The ordinance also called for a reinspection 10 years after that 40-year inspection, and for every subsequent 10 years the building is standing beyond the 40-year inspection. The Champlain Towers were built in 1981 and were due for their 40-year inspection this year. So the quick reflection took place and local government sprung into action. But what about the effort to preserve the memory? Why hasn't this particular event maintained its hold in the minds of South Floridians? Well, there's one understandable but unfortunate explanation. If you look back at the Miami Herald and the Miami News from August 6, 1974, the day after the collapse, you would expect it would be the only story on the front page. But in fact, it didn't even lead the front page of either paper. You have to think about the date, August 5th, 1974. This is the day that President Richard Nixon finally responds to the decision in U.S. versus Nixon and turns over the smoking gun tape in the Watergate investigation. The evening edition of the Miami News on August 5th, 1974 does lead with the story of the building collapsing, but features no picture and in fact features a number of stories, including one about Miami Dolphins quarterback Bob Greasy reporting to training camp. By the morning of August 6th, the Miami Herald does feature a story about the collapse, but the Nixon News has dominated the day and has pushed the story of the building collapse down the page. The front page of the evening edition of the Miami News on August 6th barely mentions the collapse, and it would never appear on the front page of either of the major metropolitan dailies in Miami-Dade County again. And so now we come back to 1201 Northeast 2nd Avenue, an address that doesn't exist anymore, an address that's only a parking lot. There's no building. There's no plaque. There's no reminder of the tragedy that occurred on August 5th, 1974, of the six people who died, of the more than a dozen people injured due to a failure in building inspection. All that's left is empty space. I think as we reflect on the events in Surfside over the last few days, one thing that every Miamian should commit to is the idea that blank space cannot be what is left behind. So much of Miami is transient, constantly changing, having no time for the worries or concerns of historic preservationists or those who care about the past. But we know that this story is unlikely to have a happy ending, and that desire to push down the past may be appealing. But it is incumbent upon us, as Miamians, to preserve the memory of the people lost, to learn the lessons required to protect ourselves and the members of our community going forward, 
and to do our best to ensure that something like this never happens again. I want to thank you again for listening to This Day in Miami History for this most unusual and unfortunate episode. I'd usually use this time to promote and plug. I will just use this time to ask you again to find what you consider to be a reputable charitable organization that's supporting Surfside and support that organization. Or if you just want to make it easy, go to supportsurfside.org and find out ways you can help there. I want to take a moment to thank the extraordinary journalists of Miami, in particular those at the Miami Herald and WLRN, who've done an exceptional job reporting on what's going on in Surfside. And in particular, I want to thank WLRN's Jenny Stiletovich, who did an article about this building collapse in 1974 and how it impacted uh, Surfside, uh, and whose article inspired me to dive a little bit more into the history of the building at 1201 Northeast 2nd Avenue. I'll be linking to that article in the text of the podcast, which you're likely listening to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, or Spotify. I encourage you to please check it out there and support local journalism. I do hope we are back next month with a more usual episode. The plan as of right now is to discuss the 125th anniversary of the incorporation of the city of Miami. I hope to see you then. Thank you for listening to this day in Miami history, and please pray for Surfside.